DJ Simulationistas. So, with Dr. D, Dan Raymer, and Dr. J, Janice Palaganis, coming at you from the Center for Medical Simulation in Boston, Massachusetts. So buckle up your mannequin, and let's roll. Well, I guess I'm Brad Morrison. <laughs> yeah. I want, say Dan Raymer. Oh, maybe I could be Dan Raymer. I wish I could be Dan Raymer, but actually I'm Brad Morrison, and I'm delighted to be here. So, ladies and gentlemen, Dan Raymer is probably on a tennis court as we begin his countdown to retirement. Yeah, that's a tough word to say about Dan, retirement. Wow. Do you think he's on the tennis court or the golf? Well, I think he's probably on the tennis court. Yeah? It's, okay. uh, I was going to say Should second. we call him and... Make him come in. Oh, that would be a great <laughs> idea. Or at least we could patch him in by phone. Yeah. yeah. We need your wisdom, Dan. We should podcast at midnight and then call him. By then he might be on the golf course. So, Brad, thank you so much for joining. Brad is um, a wonderful friend and colleague of mine and CMS. I want to own that, though. So um, I just love teaching with Brad and love his humor and just the way he thinks. And so excited that you guest co-podcaster. Well, it's great to be here. Thanks, Janice. And right back at you, all those things you just said. So, Brad, we um, have a very, very special guest that we should introduce to our um, listeners. Yeah, let's do it. And uh, we have Susie Cardong-Edgren, who has been like a star in my eyes, at least, since I've started simulation. I think I met you, Susie, did I meet you? I know we I swam a lot of the same circles with the National League for Nursing, with Inaxel, and with SSH. Mm-hmm. And because we were on the West Coast at the time, I think, where you were somewhere close to me when I lived in California. Washington State University. Washington mm-hmm. State. And um, I think the first time we ever really worked together was probably about like 15 years ago. Wow. Easy. You guys go yeah. way back. Yeah, I brought her out to be our keynote for one of our conferences. And I think Dan was recruiting you <laughs> on that same visit because Dan and I spoke together there. Right. Mm-hmm. See, even when Dan's not here, his presence is felt in the whole That's team. Right. That's, That's right. That's right. And to this day, I still remember Susie accepting the invitation, how excited I was. I remember your keynote talking about all the different literature and simulation and how that actually moved our organization forward in simulation. It's great here with our leadership. And so I'm just psyched to be working with you again more closely at the Center for Medical Simulation mm-hmm. because Susie has just joined our team here at CMS and we're going to be working a lot, a lot more together. So I'm really excited. Me too. So what I'm thinking, because I just want to know more about Susie and where you've been and how you even got to where you are. And I think a really interesting question that, Brad, you and I always discuss is like, how do people end up in simulation? Oh, yeah. That's a great question. Why don't we start with that? Should we ask Susie or do you think she already heard it? <laughs> well, for you, it was a surprise too, right? 
oh, for me, yeah. it was a surprise. Yeah, I, I never planned it this way. It and, just kind of happened. and You know, there will be a time where people will plan to be in simulation. I would mm-hmm. say most people today, it is a surprise. into it. Yeah, it's just, they, I think you said it this morning that simulation finds us, uh-huh. not we find simulation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So interesting. So truly, the way that I got involved in simulation was I was at the University of Texas at Arlington, and the graduate program had uh, received a big grant and had purchased a mannequin that comes in a basically a coffin, gigantic. <laughs> I wish people could see the way Sizzy is spreading out her hands to describe this coffin. Yeah. It's like really big and heavy. And the graduate program opened the lid, looked in, closed the lid, shoved it up against the corner, and said, no, can't, can't deal with this, don't have time. Dr. Mindy Anderson, who was not Dr. Mindy Anderson at that time, she was just Mindy Anderson, Anderson PNP, opened the crate, got the mannequin out, fired it up, and said, this is the coolest thing. And we started using it. I was helping her teach in the uh, assessment class in the undergraduate program in nursing. There were no existing scenarios at that time, especially for something like assessment. So we're basically using this very expensive mannequin (laughs) as a 15-minute intervention during the two- to four-hour clinical side of a physical assessment course in an undergraduate nursing program. So we were writing scenarios that matched each of the different chapters in our textbook. So we were literally, if you can remember the days of, what is the the thing that has a hard plastic that's clear that you could put through the copier machine? I don't remember the name of it. Uh, And Google was new. Hard plastic clear. To copy things on. You mean the transparencies that we used for overhead projectors? Yes, maybe was wow. transparency. It's right. Oh. See, she's too young. She doesn't know. <laughs> Going through at Google to find copies of malignant melanomas, things like this, um, to copy onto transparencies to then cut out carefully and glue on, you know, stick onto mannequin skin oh for skin hair nails. What a great simulation tool! Yes, we use a transparency and stick it on. Yeah, and we were. Um, she was this creative mind like you cannot believe. I believe that. And she was taking, <laughs> finding pictures of um, lice and reducing them, because they were always big so that you could see what they looked like, reducing them down to tiny things, uh, copying them, cutting them out, and then gluing them into wigs, and then taking little bits of rice, gluing them along the hairline wow. for to simulate knits. And doing all these different things so that we had scenarios for each of the different chapters that went with our textbook for teaching physical assessment. So that's how we got started in simulation. That is so cool, Susie. I've never heard this story. So we didn't even have to turn it on. And this was a very expensive mannequin. But from there, we started using lung sounds, bowel sounds. And we kind of figured out what the mannequins could do when we're writing our scenarios to match the things that we needed to teach in Uh physical assessment. And from there, I moved on to Washington State University, where I got used to these really high-end mannequins, and UTA went all in 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 mannequins. They ended up with 20 of them. It was like living in a morgue. We had mannequins stacked, floor-to-ceilings everywhere, (laughs) and no place to use them Uh until the dean, who was fabulous, was able to get us our own smart hospital, it was called, a whole temporary building outside that we were able to turn into simulation Simulation rooms, a hospital Uh area. And started running since there. 
Uh, we moved up to the Northwest, started at Washington State, and there they had a vital sim mannequin, which I didn't even know existed. And they said, we've got this, but nobody's using it. I said, well, what is it? And when I saw it, I said, I don't even know what this is. And so we have that whole like TV control that you had to adjust that would change the mannequin settings. And my job at that point was to get people on board with simulation. I went around to the different campuses and people had these mannequins, but they didn't even know what they were. They didn't know they did other stuff and were about $10,000 at that point. And so I would say, oh, this is one over here. Look, and it must have a controller with it someplace. And they are like, what are you talking about? I'd say, look what it can do. So fire it up, show them what it could do. And then we figured out that we had these mannequins at each campus that we could start doing simulation with. So we started doing simple research studies then comparing Vital Sim to the more traditional Laerdal, a higher end mannequin at that point in time. I remember Vital Sim, Sim's control. That is so funny. Isn't it just like ancient, ancient. <laughs> so what we found was both were fine until the people who had the vital sims saw a Lairdal or the higher end mannequin, uh -huh. and they're like, "Well, we don't want that anymore." The learning outcomes were the same. So we, I knew from an early age myself that it's not the the mannequin; it's what you do with the mannequin or what you do with the technique of simulation that makes a difference. Along those lines, I had become the editor of Clinical Simulation in Nursing mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. because the first editor at Developed Health Problems could not carry on and asked mm -hmm, me to take mm -hmm, over. Mm -hmm. Oh, I thought you were the founder. I am not. Okay. But it was published in-house. And when I started reading the first uh, couple issues that they had, I said, this is the best stuff I've ever seen on simulation and nursing. I said, you guys need to sell this to a publisher. And they said, well, we tried. But they said, we're not ready yet. I said, I didn't know anything. I said, no, I think you're ready. Of course yeah. you're ready. So at the inane meeting, which is a once a year meeting of all nursing editors and all of the publishers of all the nursing journals, uh -huh. come to this meeting and it's a full two day conference on uh, different things in publishing and what's going on. We had written an RFP. One of the uh, uh, people in uh, the board of an Axel and I were there and we were selling our journal to a publisher. Mm -hmm. Because the people that were involved in an Axel were so tech savvy, yeah. we said we would like to only publish online. That was brilliant. Brilliant. Why was that brilliant? Because it's so interesting that you were able to predict that so early on. I mean, we're uh, talking huh? early. It was. And yeah. it was an advantage. It was. Toward, you know, there was a point in time where it was really advantageous that yes. you were completely online. Yes. And the, most of the other publishers were having none of it because uh -huh. it was too new. It was really cutting edge. The only people that were big enough and willing to take a chance were, was Elsevier because it was the yeah. biggest publisher at that point. And they said, no, what are we going to lose here? Well, we'll give it a shot. Mm -hmm. So we started off small, and you start off with maybe only 32 pages an issue. And so much stuff came in so fast. I had a two-year backlog, and we were an online journal. And I had the argument with them every single month. I've got now, with 32 pages an issue, a two-year backlog. Mm -hmm. This makes no sense. This is why nobody would publish in a paper journal for simulation, because things are moving so fast. This makes no sense. And they wanted to publish every other month. It was every, you know, every quarter, then it was every other month, then they realized oh, we need to go every month. And then they finally figured out themselves as publishers that, well, wait a minute, all the expense is already done. 
once you do all the value adding of getting it paginated and copy uh, copy edited, et cetera, et cetera, and you get it set up so that it looks like a journal page, they said, we're done. There's no more money for us to make or lose here, or, or lose, we're done. So we can go ahead and just start publishing, and as, as it comes in, it gets paginated, and it's going to be in the next issue no matter what. That's a great idea. It is awesome. It automates that? It automates it. Oh, okay. And so you get your pages, you know what it is, and you ended up with, you know, the journal has got 600 pages in the course of the year. And you can have five articles or it can have 500 articles because you just take what comes in as it's going over the course of the year. So we were able to clear the backlog over time and start publishing on a, on a monthly basis, which was wow. super. So wow. I have to ask what the life of an editor-in-chief of a journal like I mean well did you did your full-time job give you time to do this or was this completely it's not a full-time job it's not it's not even a part-time job it's it's if you work all the time it's no big deal and I checked every day what was coming in but it really depends on a lot of stuff comes in at the beginning of summer at the end of summer over the Christmas break oh, so there and once people find you then it starts coming in on a very fairly regular basis, but there are surge times for sure because people have time to finish up an article or to write an article. Okay. So that's easily managed. I didn't think it was a bad situation and I was able to do it as an editor alone at that mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. I had an associate editor, which was lovely. Right. Um, but, but all of this was volunteer time or or did your full-time job allow oh, you they don't they don't even no, they love, it brings prestige to you to your university. Right. If you are lucky, you get paid a stipend by the journal or by, in this case, I was an association-owned journal, basically, and they voted a, a stipend of a sort for that oh, editor. Good. So um, as you go to the NA meetings, the International Academy of Nurse Educators, you start finding out all kinds of things about that, but that's another problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I got paid a little bit. It was very nice. Um, negotiated for associate editor also to get okay. money. Uh -huh. You can usually stay in those positions till you die. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to speak heresy here. <laughs> and I'm going to say that a lot of people have been in these positions for years. Yeah. Uh -huh. For especially association journals, it makes sense. But at the point that I started thinking, hmm, I've been doing this for nine years. I thought, you know, I've been there, done that. I understand what the process is. And the cool thing about being an editor is truly you do shape a profession. Yeah, sure. And I became very aware of that very quickly and thought what I choose to publish and what I choose to not publish, how I choose to get an author to change things a certain way or expand on this or contract on that, I am shaping a discipline. Wow. It's true. Yeah. It's Awesome power. Uh -huh. It's as close as you'll ever get. Awesome power. <laughs> um, it's great. But I thought, I don't ever want to like this so much that I don't want to give it up. Uh -huh. Somebody else uh -huh. needs a chance. Somebody else needs to develop. Especially when I would go to some of these NA meetings and I would see people who were, this is where I'm going to go to hell. Uh -huh. Ancient. Uh -huh. And I'm sure they believe that nobody can do it better than them. But I think I never want anything that much that I can't let it go right. and that somebody else deserves right. a chance. Right. And I thought, I want to walk away while I can still walk away. Uh -huh. And that the ring uh -huh. of power of yeah, Sauron like has not taken yeah. over. And I, yeah. my precious. 
I cannot <laughs> let go. And so I, um, and Elsevier at that point for their real publications that they owned was saying you really only can be an editor for 10 years and uh-huh. then you turn it over. Uh-huh. And I thought, you know, that's about right. Okay. Because each editor has their view of the world. And if one stays current on things, I don't know how you wouldn't as an editor, but you have your view. I think it's really good to change over and let somebody else have 10 years or whatever they want, but probably 10 is maybe the shelf life of a, in our field, because it turns over so fast, and probably somebody younger, more involved in maybe virtual reality or some of those things are starting to come online, um, would be a better fit. So I said, I think I'm done. Please, uh, let's put our associate editor, turn, you know, turn her into an editor, and let's get some other people. We also had uh, some great impact factors. We were starting to get more articles coming in. And I said, so it's time to you know, give other people the opportunity to learn this trade. So we really did expand out to, I think, like that, like four, four or five associate editors and editor-in-chief, and uh, they're doing very well. Wow, that's great. So... So, so Susie, I want to go back to something you said a little while ago that really caught my attention. I I heard you say that it was your job to get people on board with simulation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a challenge that lots of people these days are sort of asking for advice about. And so what did you learn from that? What I learned is (laughs) it's so painful. Uh Um, There are people who are early adopters. Uh There are people who are early majority. There are people who are late majority, uh-huh. and there truly are laggards. Uh-huh. And they still exist today in simulation, even though simulation has become ubiquitous in nursing education, and I don't think it could make it without it. Yeah. There are still people who uh-huh. are saying, I, I want to know what the value of simulation is, and I don't think it's been proven yet. And I would have to say, there's a lot more um, research out there now supporting simulation then there is supporting clinical, traditional clinical education mm, as we know it. Yeah. And I can really say that because I'm working with a group right now, and we haven't decided if we're going to call it a scoping review or a systematic review because we found 1,680 articles, but the evidence is so bad for objective outcomes for clinical simulation that we, we are trying to still, again, talk about what are we going to do with this because it's not flattering. Uh-huh. To traditional education is provocative information, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. So along the way, mm-hmm. while I was sitting sitting at Washington State, minding my own business, I got a call from the National Council, and it was the most lovely Jennifer Hayden who said, "We're going to do a study looking at fi- up to uh, looking at the use of simulation in clinical, and we'd like for you to be involved in this research." And I was a little assistant professor. Mm-hmm. This doesn't happen to assistant professors mm-hmm. in education mm-hmm. at an R01 type place. Mm-hmm. And so I had to run down the hall to our associate dean for research and say, I can't stop, you know, to uh, consult on this giant study. And I, I don't know what I'm supposed to ask for. So he said, okay, you're going to ask for this and this and this. And I went back and I said, okay, I want this and this and this. And they said, okay. <laughs> and I thought, you should ask for more. But I was working with the most wondrous Dr. Pam Jeffrey. She uh-huh. and I were the two. Uh-huh who flew into Chicago, and we started planning with Jennifer this gigantic study. Basically, we had to run the store, and it was huge, it was expensive, it was outstanding. 
Um, it was an unbelievable experience. And as we, oh, it was so sad. As we got the results, Jennifer was dying of, uh, of cancer. So she couldn't do the final results and report then. Somebody else actually had to do that on the day she arrived. She said, I'm too sick, I have to go home. Turned them over to somebody else who had to step in at the last minute to give those results. It was heartbreaking. But uh, it was landmark. And it's and I said, how did you find me? How did you, how did you even know my name? She said, well, because I read your stuff and because you entered this journal. I said, oh, okay. So uh, publishing is really important. Mm -hmm. People think you know something. Mm -hmm. And I think I learned a lot along the way. I think anybody who was involved in that particular study learned a whole lot because it was massive. Well, the impact is massive. And the impact was massive. And uh, it was, uh, that was kind of the making of my career along with doing uh, research in the RQI. Oh, I think your career started. <laughs> but uh, I've just I've just been remarkably lucky, really. I have to say, uh -huh. it's, I don't think I'm that much smarter than anybody else, or but I think I'm luckier than a lot of people. I will say that <laughs> it's almost like just being in the simulation. You are lucky. Well, it creates a lot of opportunities, absolutely so. for sure. It yeah. changes how you see the world, uh -huh. and I wasn't always the sweet teacher that I am today. <laughs> I, I I wasn't. And so I was more the traditional, you know, what do you mean you don't know how to do this? You know, I taught you last week, can't you remember that? But I started seeing, as I was doing those kinds of things, that this makes no sense. Well, I taught him 12 things last week. Mm -hmm. Can you remember, you know, mm -hmm. what anything that happened last week? Especially having been an Air Force nurse and knowing the age I was dealing with mm -hmm. as a, as mm -hmm. a uh, clinical instructor or as an educator. Right. And those are the same people who are wild and crazy kids in the Air Force's airmen running around overseas doing uh -huh. things that uh, um, uh -huh. that are really hard to do if you're trying to learn a life and death profession yeah. as well as yeah. being a young person. So I think I was starting to change and I was probably ripe for simulation when it found me or I found it or we stumbled into each <laughs> other. But I thank uh, Mindy Anderson any chance I get for opening that box uh -huh. and pulling that sucker out of there. It was oh, wow. great. That's great. There was that phrase way back when, which was free the mannequins from their boxes. Free the mannequins <laughs> from their boxes. That's half the battle. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Nobody realized there was an yeah. FTE behind yeah. the mannequin yeah. 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 and that somebody had to run it. So yeah. they just live in their boxes. Yeah. That's right. So Susie, you are here now. Yeah, I want to hear a little bit about how she got here. What's happening? Yeah, what you're passionate about, how fits what you're passionate about. I think it's interesting when people like you that have lived through all like all the phases of simulation mm -hmm. to hear what you're most passionate about now. Mm -hmm. To me that's kind of the edge of our practice. So well my goal would be um, world domination of simulation. Uh -huh. yeah, that's good. That's We're all in that. <laughs> yep, that's right. We're almost um, there, right? That's right. right. Uh, but I uh, research, research, research to build the case for using simulation, really experiential learning, because it's uh -huh, not the mannequin, uh -huh. right. it's the technique. Yeah. And I think half of our battle is getting people to believe it is a philosophy, especially the CMS way, is a philosophy, a view of education, a view of learners. I, I think that's really important. And... Uh, when you get to work for CMS, my experience is you get tapped on the shoulder. 
and I was tapped on the shoulder by Damien Shield probably about two years ago to uh, do this. And I had sent people here because I was a director of this big simulation program at Robert Morris University. And I had sent people, but I said, I can't justify going myself because that's not really what I do is debrief every day. So I sent people and they came back, of course, uh, wildly ecstatic, really uh, I amped our program up, did amazing things. When I was tapped, I said, okay, well, I guess I need to go now. So I came and uh, experienced the magic mm -hmm. and uh, started understanding how this really works from your side of the house and saw how I could put this together with what I knew and pull more of the um, experiential learning and that um, CMS philosophy into education in general. Because maybe I knew it, but I didn't really, this is really a, a life-changing way of looking at things. And so um, along with teaching classes here, I was asked to work in the education leadership and international program with Robert Simon and help your affiliates, the CMS affiliates, um, ramp up their research programs and simulation. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'm looking mm -hmm. forward to doing this. My first place is going to be Santander Spain. Oh, nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So looking forward to that. And then there are some other opportunities coming down the pike. So um, in my job as an endowed chair in nursing at Boise State, my job was to help faculty with their scholarly pursuits. There is no better job on the planet than that, walking up and down the halls and saying, gosh, you have an article you want to write? <laughs> do you have a research study you'd ever like to do? Uh -huh. And have you, what have you noticed? What are, your, what are you thinking? So I have that job again as a nurse scientist at Texas Health resources now so I do that here and then basically for education leadership and international programs it's the same job again is working with people who probably have great research ideas mm -hmm. and just need some um, emotional and maybe a little brain power support in how in the nuances of research and IOBs and things like that so I look forward to that opportunity and I think oh, it'll I be so much fun it's going to be what a great contribution it's going to be, I can tell for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I almost want to end this podcast just so we can, the three of us. So we can go start a, work, a research project. Yeah, <laughs> let's go. do it. Let's do it. That's right. Well, thank you so much, Susie. It's mm -hmm. always wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Great chatting with so you. So great to share. Mm -hmm. Looking forward to working with you uh, here at CMS in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. Brad always... Always a pleasure to work with you, Janice. We do and miss Dan, nice. but I'm glad that I got a chance to be here with yeah, both Dan. of you tonight. <laughs> All right, and that's what's up. DJ Simulationistas, what's up? Is brought to you by the Center for Medical Simulation. Find out more about CMS and learn about our simulation instructor training and course offerings at www.harvardmedicine.org. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.